Will you stand with me this morning? Sing it with me. Thank you that you are faithful, that you finish what you begin, that even though there are times ahead, we can count on you. We trust your sovereignty and what you're doing in our story as we sing. I will rest in your promises, my confidence. Is your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence 
to see your faces. Thank you. Don't normally hear that from here. My ears are usually, you know, like so deep in. <laughs> uh, it's been a week. I'm happy to actually be able to wear flannel today just as a sidebar. I wore it in faith that it wouldn't be 90 degrees as it's been <laughs> the past month. Oh, but we bless God in rain or in shine. We're thankful for the big and the small. And though we can't see clear every single moment, we thank God for what he's doing, even though we don't have the full story. So we sing these songs. Don't let them be vain repetitions. Allow God to speak to you in these moments. Feel the freedom to worship. Don't worry so hard about who's around you. Let's just be here together in worship and in gratitude. Sing this together, family. Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name we believe. Jesus, the only one 
Set our voices. in faith Jesus Jesus a name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever save we of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you foundation on love, on the rock that cannot be shaken, that we've learned to believe in the things that we can't see yet.
get so used to all the noise it's hard to sit in what is seemingly quiet it's hard to sit in the pain of a moment isn't it but God's present even in the silence I will build God this morning that we learn to worship without expectation that you should do anything but be exactly who you are, sovereign. How often we come to you with a shopping list and an agenda of the ways that you need to work. I pray that we humbly approach the throne this morning as we sing this worship song. We will wait without hope, without light Till from heaven you can run There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Let's sing this out, I know you guys know it Let's lift this up. Praise the Spirit, three in one God, God of glory, majesty. Praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. 
to be with the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross or even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation jesus for sake you died voices lifted up praise the father praise the son praise the spirit three and one god of glory majesty praise forever to the king of kings in the morning that you rose all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good all the land that conquered day in the dead was from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all would come to the Father are restored in the church and the church of Christ was born and the Spirit led the way now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel shall not fade by his blood and in his name in his freedom I am free for the love Jesus Christ who is a resurrected man praise the Father praise the Son praise the Spirit three and one God of glory time one body let's go praise the father praise the son sing praise praise forever to the king of kings we praise you god god we give you the rest of this morning continue to work in our hearts through your word that whatever you put on josh's heart May he speak boldly 
as we approach your throne. We love you. We praise you and pray these things in your name. And the church said, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I am obviously not Pastor Bob. My name is Josh, Josh Allier. I am um, the new student ministries director here at Grace Point. Um, if you haven't gotten to meet me, my job is I get to hang out with the teenagers, as you can see in the back. We get to have some fun, talk about you know their lives, talk about Jesus, talk about hopefully putting Jesus in their lives and what it looks like going forward and going into the into the future for them. Um, it's really awesome. I also get to have crazy amounts of fun, as I should say. Uh, last week with the junior hires, I, part of my job was I got to go laser tagging. So that's a pretty pretty sweet gig as, as it is. Um, today we are going to be continuing in the Gospel of Mark. Um, we are going to be, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Mark chapter 10. Um, last week, um, Pastor Bob kept uh, guiding us on this series that we've been on. It's the case for Christ. It is Mark, one of uh, the disciples, writing his case for Christ. Not as just a human, a very good human, not as just a prophet, prophet, not as just a man, but actually the Son of God. That is why he has been building his case. Um, and we're going to continue in that. Last week, Pastor Bob talked to us about the rich young ruler um, and, you know, our attitudes and our responses to when God gives us an impossible task. Um, which he will do, he did to the ruler, and what it looks like in our lives and what our responses should be and what is our impossible task that God um, can help us to overcome. And we will be touching on that again a little bit later. Um, but right now we are on the road to Jerusalem, currently still going on to the road. We're actually near the end of the road to Jerusalem. Next uh, chapter in Mark, and we are finishing this chapter, they are entering Jerusalem, which takes us into a whole new section of the Jesus story that is written by Mark, a whole new um, level, like going into it, the whole promise of everything that Jesus came here for is coming up. Um, and he gives us a little bit of a, of a preview of that um, in, in this chapter of Mark. He, it's not his first time giving the preview, but he does. He's trying to prepare his disciples right now. Um, as we go through this. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, we're in Mark 10, the first verse is um, 32, and we will be finishing up the chapter today. And it says this, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. So we're going to stop right there because Jesus is, is taking the 12 aside right now. Like I said, he's trying to prepare them for what is going to come up in Jerusalem. He has tried to do this before. This is actually the third time he is trying to prepare them. He is letting them know, he is prophesying what is going to, going to go on in three chapters. In Mark 8, he did it. In Mark 9, he did it. And now in Mark 10, he is doing it again. Um, it also said that they were, you know, they were amazed and there were those who followed him were afraid. So I'm starting to, you know, there's this sense of this, this heaviness that is kind of starting to, you know, come on them, drawing nearer and nearer to Jerusalem. Um, I can especially um, see where the heaviness would come with what Jesus is going to talk about is going to happen in Jerusalem. Um, 
before we before we get into to what he said, though, I mean, like I said, we're on the third time Jesus is telling his disciples this. The first two times we're kind of met with, I, actually, I, I think what would almost be expected, maybe not on Peter's end, but in Mark 8, it, it, Peter was actually angry at Jesus for telling, for telling um, what he's about to tell to the, to the disciples right now. It was just prophesying what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He got mad. He actually started to rebuke Jesus, which is a bold move to your leader. But it was out of fear. It was out of anger. And then the, um, on Mark 9, it says the disciples became very afraid of what they heard. But they're, they're afraid. But are they actually getting the understanding of what is going to happen? Um, so we will continue in 33. And this is what Jesus is telling his 12. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to, over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, keep in mind, he just told them exactly for the third time what's going to happen. They are currently on the road going to that place where he just said all of those terrible things are going to happen to him. They're actually not even that far away anymore compared. They've crossed the Jordan. They are, um, at the end of this, we'll see they're, they're going into Jericho, which is, uh, I think, only about 20 miles or so away from, from Jerusalem. So they're getting very close, and they are still going on, on their way. You know, it can, like I said, things are getting very, very heavy for them. Things are getting very scary. I mean, we... Jesus just told you, hey, we're going to go to this place that we're on the way to right now. Um, they're going to take me. The, not just them, the people that are, as we as Jews, are the religious chief priests are going to turn on me. They're going to take me. They are going to torture me, beat me, and then they're going to kill me. And then I will rise. And you would think, you know, maybe the, they would be met with fear again. I know uh, this, like, if, if I was with somebody, if I was with my dad, say, and he told me, hey, we're going on a trip to Hawaii or whatever. We're going here. But when we get there, by the way, the TSA is going to take me. They're going to beat the heck out of me. And then, by the way, they're going to kill me there. I'd be like, maybe we shouldn't go on this trip, Dad. This probably isn't a good way to go. But he just told them what is going to happen. He just told them this is going to happen, and we're still going to Jerusalem, though. We're moving forward. The first two times, like I said, was met with, you know, fear and anger at one point. Um, we get a little bit of a different response coming from James and John. And this is how, in their reaction to it, Jesus just told them he's trying so hard, I will say. Like I said, three times is a lot. He's trying to just to get them to understand what's going to happen, like what's going to go on in his life. He's just trying to, let, to have them to see what is going to happen. In verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So I'll say this opening verse is already kind of telling me that they might be missing what's going on. They might not be fully seeing because Jesus tells them, and then they go to him and they go, Hey, will you give us... What we ask of you. Okay, first, I, I, I must say, I kind of like the phrasing of the question. I like it's a very sneaky, sneaky way uh, uh, that, I mean, people <laughs> can use. Hey, if I ask you for something or I ask you to do something, you'll say yes, right? 
It's, I mean, you put them in a little bit of a pickle at that point. It's like, well, I could say yes. I could say no. If I say yes, then if I go, hey, okay, Dad, if I, if, if I ask somebody, you'll say yes. Yes, sure. Can I have 100 bucks? Well, I said yes or any of the question. Or even if he says no, I could kind of flip that around, right? Well, no, I can't answer that. Well, then will you not not give me $100? I still got it. But Jesus, you know, I just really like that question. It's so funny. And, 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 it, and in the minds of James and John that that is like Jesus tells them, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be put to death. I will be flogged and spit on. And they go, will you give me what I want real quick? I think, they, I think it might be, you know, some things might be missed here. Um, in verse 36, though, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What, I mean, what a question. First of all, he obviously didn't fall into Jesus' very, very wisdom, very smart. He did not fall into the trap of the yes or no. He didn't give them a yes or no. But he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that is a powerful question. You know, I, I like us to, you know, think about what would, if Jesus gave us that question, if he gave me that question, what would you want me to do for you? What would my response be? I mean, that's, a, that's pretty sweet. Jesus is going to ask me what I want him to do for me. Jesus can do everything. But what is it that I would want? You know, we'll get back to this idea, but, but I want to see what James and John's answer to this actually was in verse 37. And they said to him, grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. So, you know, what are they really asking for here? Is I think what, I said, I will, I will keep this in mind with all of you. Uh, Jesus prophesied his death and we're asking to be on the right hand and left hand of him. So that is what Jesus asked. If there's anything, like what can I do for you? And they said, put us on your right hand and your left hand. What are they actually asking for, though? I think we get a very good view of what they, what, why they would ask this or what they could be asking for. Because in last chapter, in verses 33-37, the disciples were having an argument. They were arguing with one another. And Jesus, kind of, even though he already knew, he was kind of asking, like, oh, what are you guys arguing about? And they didn't want to tell him. They didn't want to tell him. Because they were arguing amongst them who would be the greatest. Who, in the long run of it, were disciples of Jesus. Jesus is obviously the greatest, but out of us 12, who among us is the best? And I think that this is what was still on their heart with James and John. I think that they... You know, maybe, maybe they thought they got a little sneak in there. It's like, well, I can ask Jesus, and if he says yes, then that means that I get to go, and I am the greatest. James and John, we get to be at the right and the left hand of him. What is that actually asking for? They're asking to be part of his glory. You know, Jesus, like I said, as disciples, we know you're going to go to heaven, and you get to be there, and you are going to get to get all the glory, and you are going to get to all the worship in heaven. But if I get to sit on your right, and if I get to sit on your left then it means that I'm a little bit better than all, than all the rest of them, right? And I get some of that glory, too. You know, it, I, we really get to see amongst the disciples kind of what their hearts were. When Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do? And they asked for glory that is close enough to him. Like, 
Like, you're right here, but we want to be right here. And that is what they asked of him. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do? And they said, give me greatness, pretty much. Give me glory. So let's continue on and see Jesus' response to this um, question. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the bapti- with <clears throat> and be baptized with which I am baptized? And he said to and they said to him, "We are able." And Jesus said to them, "The cup I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant." But it is for those whom it has been prepared. So we'll stop there. You know, I think Jesus, after they asked that request, he's, it, it, you don't get it. I told you what was going to happen to me. I told you what, you know, you're asking for some of my glory. You're asking for some of what, what you guys say, I'm going to get all the glory. You're asking for that, but you want a little piece of that. So are you willing to be, to drink of the cup that I drink or to be baptized with what I am baptized? Are you willing to go through what I am about to go through? And I, I really just think, I think that he's pretty much telling them here, you're, you don't get it. You're not seeing what you're supposed to be seeing. But you know what their response is? Yep, we can. First of all, they haven't seen what's going to happen, have they? He's telling them. Maybe they heard the part, yeah, Jesus is going to get, you know, he's going to get tortured, he's going to get killed. I can do that as long as I get my reward at the end of it, right? If So I will answer, yes, I can. Yes, we can right now. Because if it means that I have to die and I get to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus, and I get my glory in heaven, then, yep, I can do it. That's what they're saying. And Jesus is like, I, you guys just don't get it. You don't see it. The reason that I have to drink from the cup that I drink and I am baptized are very different reasons than what you guys are, are saying you're willing to do it for. He says, you will indeed. That's heavy. They said, sure, yes, we can. And he said, fine, you will. You know, uh, as we go and we know James, he was beheaded in Acts. He was killed. And he's captured by King Herod. Um, John, as far as we know, he was, we don't know if he was martyred, but it really was not for a lack of trying. He tried really hard to be killed. They, he's like, put me in oil, boil it, but I, I'll come out still, and, and then you'll throw me on an island. He tried, but he didn't. Can you drink the cup? We will. You will indeed. And that's, that's hard. That's heavy. But James and John are saying they will because they are looking ahead. They're not looking at what Jesus is just telling them. They're not seeing what he's putting right in front of them. They're seeing 10 miles ahead of them. They're seeing, that's fine. This all can happen. This can happen. This can happen. I don't really care what happens. But as long as this happens and I get to go here, I'm happy. And that's what I want. You know, I I think the 
the important thing is, and we're going we're gonna to continue to see it, this is the third time that Jesus has, has told of his death, but he's not finished on this earth yet, right? He told of his death. He talked to the Russian ruler. He told of his death. He's going to talk here. He's not done. He's, his, his, what he came here to do is not finished. He's not looking ahead like they are. He's not looking for necessarily his reward, which is a hard reward to get to. It is, but he is, he's still not finished yet. And I think, and they, they just don't see it. In verses uh, 41, we'll continue. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant of James and John. Yeah, of course. They're mad. <laughs> they were just arguing about this. And James and John kind of like, hey, Jesus, will you let us be the right hand and left hand? Because then guess what? They get to go back and be like, guess who is the greatest? Jesus just said, we get to be at his right and left hand. We're the greatest. Argument done. 42. And Jesus called to, the, to them and I called them to him and said to them, you do not know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over rule, over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever you would, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be great among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus had to kind of bring them in, a little powwow. The disciples were really mad. James and John were trying to work their way up the ladder. They were trying to get their greatness in, prove to everybody else that we are the greatest. We're the best disciples. We will die for Jesus. We will die as you die if we have to, as long as, you know, we, we get that understanding. And Jesus is, is telling them, you, you don't see it. You don't get it. He's not looking for self-climbing out of his disciples. He's looking for servants. You know, he's not, he's not worried about their self-greatness or who gets to sit where or what gets to, who gets to be next to him. He cares more about what he came to do, and that's serving. serving. And, you know, James and John are really, the, like I said, they're the, kind of the focal point. They're the ones that get tossed in over here, but it really, obviously, Jesus had to do a powwow with all the disciples. This wasn't, this wasn't just James and John that he, had to, that he had to talk to. He had to talk to all of them. They're all going through this. And this kind of leads them to what we're going to be talking about today. Um, in Mark 8.18, it says, having eyes do you not see. This is, you know, Jesus is telling them the importance of everything that's going to happen. Jesus is trying at the beginning of this to walk them through. This is going to happen, and this is going to be the importance of it, and they just don't see what's going on. They don't get it. Their minds and their hearts are preoccupied with completely other things. You know, I think um, this can be a very challenging area for us because I think our minds and our hearts oftentimes become preoccupied with other things. And when Jesus is trying to speak to us, we're not seeing him, we're not listening to him. 
we are putting what our what our needs are above what what his are for him and the, and and I and I love these these things cuz we can look at the disciples and we can go ha they he got him got him a couple chapters ago you know he told he told Peter get behind me saying he got him but you know what how like what are how much of us are doing the same exact thing that these disciples would do these aren't you know just stories for us to 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 look at and and either laugh at these guys Peter made a mistake again <laughs> These are for us to see. I think we are the disciples in this so much. So that's exactly what we're talking about, about today. We're talking about being blind. We're talking about spiritual blindness. What it looks like, you know, what does it mean to be spiritually blind? What does it mean for when God is telling you to do something, when God is speaking to you or trying to show you something and you are covering up yourself from it? And I think there's a couple reasons. We talked about being preoccupied with other things in our heart. I think that there, um, if you guys have your, your list, here we go. Um, there's a couple things that we can get preoccupied with that can put us into spiritual blindness. The first one is being preoccupied with position. I mean, this is exactly James and John right here, right? Exactly what they were talking about. We want to be at your right. We want to be at your left. Our position is greater than the other, not just the other ten, than everybody. You get your glory, you get your worship, but we get some of it too because we're right here. Our position is higher than anybody, than anybody else's. Our status gets to be greater than anybody else's. They literally wanted to be in line next to Jesus. That is where they wanted to be. And I, don't, I can't say if it was like, oh, because I could get to look at the disciples and go, ah, oh, you're not with me. But I think it, as we see a, a chapter ago, that was in their head. They want to be top. They care more about their position than what Jesus is trying to tell them is going to happen. And he just told them, you know, you it is about being a servant, and they're like, whatever, yeah, I get my spot, right? You know, that is a thing that I think us human beings share quite a lot of. I want to be greater. I want to be the best. I want to be the greatest. I want my status to be higher. I go to work or in my household or I want to be the top. I get to be the boss. I want to be this because with this shows that I get to be a little bit higher than everybody else. I did work hard. I do work hard. But it just puts me a little bit above everybody else, right? I think that that is in human nature. We desire that. We are rewarded for that. We're kind of rewarded for do whatever it takes to get to there. Especially in our society right now. If you have to scratch, claw, step on, do whatever you have to do to get to, to a higher status, a higher position, good for you. You did it. You made it. Isn't that going against what Jesus kind of just... I don't want to. You don't want to hit anything yet. We're not on to the. We're not on to the. To the. What's going to help us yet? But 
you know, there's, this doesn't just happen in work. This doesn't just happen in places. In the, I have a, something that was really, and this is not healthy at all, it's something that I, growing up in church in my life, was told was when people would go out, they would do something that maybe I didn't do, or they would go on the church mission trip, or they would, you know, open a door, something as little as that. Their response was, I was like, okay, whatever. And they'd come up, and they'd try to put it in my face, and they'd go, well, my mansion in heaven just got bigger than yours. That was a real thing that I heard. And in your head as a kid, you're like, oh, well, I guess that's what we're supposed to be going for, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Is, and, and, and by the thing, their mansion was just talking about their, their status, their position in heaven. I am greater than you. Jesus will look at me better than you because I did this one little thing. But is the heart in the right place for that? James and John, they want the glory they're doing. They are willing to die for it. But are they seeing what is to come with Jesus and what the purpose really is of him? You know, he's getting, he's getting ready to die for this world, for us, for our, for, we know him as we say it in church, we have, you know, the crosses, but he's getting ready to, to really go through a brutal death and a resurrection that is not for him or for his glory, it is for the people of the world. It is not for people to come to him and to sit in front of him in heaven and one gets the seat on the left, one gets the right. And like, you're so great. Thank you for everything you did. He did it to be our servant. And, you know, when we care more about our position or our status or what we get out of what we get and we miss what Jesus is trying to tell us, then we are just completely covering our eyes to what he's actually trying to say. Or even if he's telling us to do something else, and it goes against what, what would bring us to a higher position in him, in, our, in what we think in our lives. No, 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 no. I don't see that. Just kidding. I'll do everything else you're asking me as long as I can keep rising, as long as I can keep going up. But if you ask me to do something that's either going to make me stable or, or stop me from being able to do that, I can't, I can't see you. Sorry, I hit my mic. Sorry. I can't see you. I get excited. I can't, but we do that. You know, our position that we should want, and this is very hard because it goes against who we, I think, who we are, but it is who Jesus was. Our position that we should want, our status that we should want is servant. Not served, not next to Jesus. It is what can we do for this world? That's what Jesus just told them. That's where your greatness really comes from. Second thing, we get preoccupied with pleasure, less suffering. Now, this is a hard one. Josh, are you going to stand up here and tell me that I need to go out and suffer? No, I am not. I'm not telling you that you should go out and smack your leg on something to feel pain and suffer. I'm not telling you that. But what I am saying, you know, is... How many times do we let things in our life that may be a, a little bit discomforting, maybe a little bit annoying, or even big, but we feel like God's telling us to do it, and we don't do it because we're, we have that fear of, of suffering? So I have a quick story to go with this. Um, when I was in college, I got to 
I had the awesome opportunity to spend a semester in Italy and with the, with the church there. And, and one of the things we did is we went to Greece. We went to Athens for a week for six days and six nights. And, um, and every night and every morning, we did a Bible study and a prayer on Mars Hill, which is in Athens. It's right next to the Acropolis. We were a five-minute walk from it. It was so cool. You could see all of Athens. It was amazing. I loved it. I gained a lot of pleasure from being there because it looked really good, and it felt like I was like, Paul was here. This is cool. Every night we were there, we, you know, we're talking to, praying, and I was like, well, you know, God, if there's something you want me to do, just go ahead and let me know. And every night there was something he wanted me to do. In my head or, or in a feeling, there was somebody that he had pointed out to me. He goes, you should probably go speak to them. You, I want you to go speak to them. And I went, I can't see what you're talking about. I was so I, I was in my happy space. Very good, peaceful place. I went there every morning, every night, had breakfast. It was wonderful. Don't take away this pleasurable space for me to make it into something where I'm going to go speak to somebody and they're going to completely reject me. They are going to completely get the heck out of here. We don't want you here with that dumb stuff. Or my excuse was this. I gave a really good excuse to God. Well, we're in another country. They probably don't speak my language anyway. So uh, when I was in Greece, I don't think I ran into anybody that didn't know, know English. <laughs> but I used that. I didn't, that little bit of annoyance or sadness or scariness, it took away from my pleasure. That was a little bit of suffering for me. And because of that suffering, I didn't want to do anything about it. I closed my eyes to God. Even though I was, I was there, I was praying to him, I was saying, yeah, 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 give me what you want me to do. Okay, do this. What? I can't see what you're talking about. If we are not listening to what God is telling us to do, if we're not seeing what God wants us to see, then we are blinding, using spiritual blindness, we are blinding ourselves to his words for us. We are blinding ourselves for his plan for us. We have one more cause of spiritual blindness, procrastination with practice. In James 1, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You guys are going to learn a little bit about me up here. This, it was me in my, in my youth to a T. Be doers of the word and not just listeners. I went through church my whole life. I grew up in a church. My family became, um, you know, saved when I was four years old or three years old. And I grew up in this church. And I knew the Bible. I knew all the stories. I knew all the verses. I knew... Any answer that you could get, I'd get your answer. Boom. Um, and I looked really good. And I like to look good. It felt good, right? If I was like, yep, I'm there. If, and you know who I really looked good to was my parents. I really looked good to my parents. Because if somebody would ask me something or somebody needed to talk about something spiritual, there's this, you know, seventh, eighth grader, and he can answer. That's pretty cool. I grew up here. I know the Bible. Mm-hmm. I do. I got this knowledge. It's great. I was, first of all, I'm talking about 7th, 8th grade. Um, I didn't really accept Christ into my heart until I was a senior. I knew all of this stuff. And I, God asked me to do anything with it. 
I never looked at it. I was like, nope. I, if you asked me to do something, I, w- I would blind myself not to have to see. I don't want to see it because guess what? I do know the Bible. I do know these stories. I know what happens. I know what, when, when you ask people to do and they do it, some scary things can happen. Or, but, I, but I would rather just, and I don't want that to happen to me, so I'd rather just know all this stuff. I could say all of it, but if I'm not living it, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to care. I could slide. I don't want to put anything into practice that, you, that you're asking me to do. I, it, it scares me. So I can keep my knowledge. I can know the word. I can go to church every Sunday. I can listen to Pastor Bob. I can go, oh, that's a great sermon. I got a lot from it. I can hang it on my wall at home, and people will come over and be like, wow, really good. But if I'm not doing any practice with it, then I am just blinding myself to what God's plan is for me. You know, there's, when we finally ask God what we want him to do with our lives or what God, what do you want me to do with my life and, and do it, um, a lot of times, you know, the answer can be scary and, and then it's really easy to kind of go back to that knowledge. Um, I told you guys I wasn't saved until I was a senior in high school and that's true. I grew up in church. I actually... Um, because I had known so much and because I didn't really care about it, I didn't want to put any of it into practice, um, which is funny that I'm in youth ministry now. Close your ears. Um, don't do this. I, 7th through 11th grade, I never went to church. I ditched. There was a school right next to the church, and I went over there. And guess what would happen every time? My parents would ask me, what you guys learn about? Well, I got it. I can make sermons up on the fly. Boom, boom, boom. Jonah and the whale, this is what happened. Like, wow, they went deep today. Yeah, it was pretty good. I don't know if they ever talked about it in there. They were just happy that I was, I sounded like I knew what I was talking about, that I sounded like I was learning, that I sounded like I was applying, and this is supposed to be the application. But I, I'm just telling them this because I could never get past that moment of, of just having the knowledge or just knowing, it, knowing all this stuff and then actually putting it into practice into the next stage of my life. Um, my senior year, I, there was a guest pastor up on stage and he was talking about going all in for Jesus. What does it look like? The very thing, going all in, we're going all in. And I was like, yeah, cool, I know all this. I know what it means to go all in. I know what it means to hear his words and to follow them. I know it. It's cool. And then he went over, at the end of it, he went over to the baptism pit that was on the stage. And he said, well, who's willing to do that? And he threw open the pit. He said, who's willing to come up here? And I was laughing pretty much. <laughs> no. All these people have known me my whole life. There's a couple hundred people. All these people know me. Uh, if I have to go up there, I have to pretty much admit all this was, was what it is. Or I, I also don't, I take that very seriously. I don't want to go up there and do that because that means I'm actually having to do something. And there was a moment in that, though, where and I had already been, I had a, a very good mentor that started reading books with me and starting doing things, and he was trying to open my life. He was trying to go deeper with me, what it means to look like, and what it means to look like for somebody else that is that he was a youth pastor, that is a pastor, that, that what life actually looks like in, in practicing with what God is telling you. So it was a little bit opening a little bit already, and then this happened, and I'm like, huh, and then all of a sudden, I, I felt, you know, something come upon me, I threw my keys and my phone and my wallet at my dad, and he just looked at me, he goes, are you going up there? And I said, I think so. And I did. And I went up, 
and I got baptized in front of everybody knew me, and I cried my eyes out in front of a couple hundred people. And I came up, and for the first time, really, with what God, I felt like, was telling me to do in my life, I actually did. I made God a promise um, when I got my baptism. That was, that was my Savior. I, I just told God, I, I can't do anything by my own. And whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it, is what I said. Hmm. That's what I said. And that's what I had to start doing. But when I came up, I was really shown his, his greatness and his mercy and his love, feelings I had never felt before. And it was these finally putting all this stuff actually into practice and finally meaning it in my heart. And I had to stick to it. So we talked about things that can cause us to be blind, things that, that, are, that we put in our own lives and they cause us to be spiritually blind. We don't want to see God. We don't want to see him moving. But Josh, what are things that can help me with that? What are things that can cure us? We are going to be talking about right now an actual blind person. And I think we're going to pull some really good stuff from it. So if you guys, the Bible is still open, we're going to be in verse um, 46. And we're going to be talking about a guy named Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho, told you we'd be in Jericho. And he was leaving, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting up by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take, he, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and, <clears throat> and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? There it is again, by the way. Throwing that out there. What do you want me to do for you? Just asked it again. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So just to break this down a little bit. You know, Bartimaeus, he heard Jesus was walking through Jericho. Bartimaeus, is a, he's blind. As, as we said, we're talking about spiritual blindness. Put those things together. He's blind, and he's a beggar because really, as a blind person back then, there really wasn't much else you could do. So he's, I, I can't work. I can't do anything. I need money, so I'll beg for it. And he, cry, he hears Jesus there, and he cries out for mercy on him. And there's Jesus' response again. What do you want me to do for you? You know, we, we see some actual blindness cured in this. He, he came to him with asking, and he, and, he, and he actually cured his blindness. But, you know, what are our cures for our spiritual blindness is, is kind of what's coming up next. So the first section is 
We need to admit our need to see more clearly. This is hard. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall fully, even as I have been fully known. Admitting our need to see more clear, admitting our need, that really has to start with us. I don't know if you guys are good at this. I, I, I um, find it hard to be good at this. Is uh, Admission something really good for you guys, really easy. It just comes off. Admission is hard. Admission is our pride. It's in us. It's what we don't want to give up. It's like, I, I don't want to have to say, I'm, I don't have to admit to anything, because then that means I have to admit, if I'm admitting, that means that something was wrong, and that means that I was wrong, and that doesn't do well for me. It doesn't make me feel very good, right? You know, when, and I don't, like I said, this can be a cure because we do have to admit, because guess what? A lot of times, this is the step that stops us. My pride, my thing, I'm a good person. I'm great. I do this. I have a good job. I pay um, an offering. I do all of this. I go to church. I'm good. I don't need to admit anything because I probably am seen clearly even though I'm not. And we have to put our pride aside. We have to put ourselves aside and admit that we need help, that we need to see clearly. If we want to, if we feel blind, if we feel like we're shutting God out and we want to actually see, he can come. We have to admit to him that we need to see more clearly, though. If you don't admit that first, if you don't admit that you are actually needing to see it, then, it, then your heart's not going to be right. You have to. Because the only, the only way you're getting to a place of cure your spiritual blindness is where you have to say to yourself, I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing. I'm closing myself out from what I'm supposed to be seeing. And I need to admit, I need to put my pride aside. I need to admit that I want to see more clearly too. There should be a want. Like I said, doing this, it may not, boom, it may not open your eyes, but God comes and he starts to open them as we're trying. Like I said, if, if for us to admit, that's something like somebody, if, if I've been caught in a lie or something and people go, just admit you're lying, I go, nope. Because then it shuts our eyes again, right? Like just admit you need to see more clear. Admit you need me, you need my help, and, I, and we go, no, because I can do it. Because what I've been taught is in, in life, our way to gain our own personal, like I said, position, things like that, is because we can do it, and I don't need to admit that I need to see more clear, because I don't, because I'm doing really good. We need to admit in our heart. We need to see more clearly, and we need to start with it. The second thing is we need to ask him, Jesus, for more insights. We need to ask. You know, if we admit in our hearts, we know we need to see more clearly. We know we're not seeing clearly. We understand that. We finally come to the point where we go, I'm not listening to God. I'm not seeing God. I admit it in my heart. Now we need to ask you actually need to ask him for more insight. In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. He wants you to ask. He wants to give us wisdom. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to give us insight of what is to come. He wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you what you're supposed to do with your life, but you need to ask him to tell you. If we just expect, if Bartimaeus just expected to sit in the corner and say, oh, hopefully Jesus passes by me. Hopefully he comes by and maybe I'll get a little touch of him. Maybe he'll touch me and maybe I'll be healed. Hopefully, but I don't need to do anything for it. That's not what he did. He heard Jesus was there. He's blind. He still sprang up. I don't know how, like, it's got to be, you got to catch yourself a little bit. But he still sprang up and started crying for mercy. He is crying for help. He's literal asking Jesus for sight. Jesus asks him, what is it you want me to do for you? And he literally, in a literal term, says, I want to see. But he had to come and he had to ask. He had to ask for help. He can't. We talked about, I said I'd come back to this. We talked about the rich young ruler last week, right? Pastor Bob talked about the rich young ruler. He talked about he was given an impossible task in his life, giving away everything. And what did he do? He left. He couldn't handle the task, so he left. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask for help. We're supposed to ask so that I understand this is an impossible task. God, I understand that me opening my eyes, seeing clearly, is not on me. I can't see what you want me to see on my own. I need to ask you for what you want me to see. I need to ask you for what you want out of my life, what you want me to do. I need to ask, because if I just do what I'm doing, and I'm putting myself first, and I'm just doing whatever I want to do, God, we're not listening. We're not seeing what God wants. We are we need to ask him. And I think, you know, the disciples after last week, they, the big question was, well, then who can be saved? Bartimaeus can be saved. He asked for mercy. He asked for help. We need to. We need to ask. If you do not ask God, if you don't first, like I said, admit in your heart and then come to him and actually ask him for his wisdom, ask him for his help, then you won't. You're not open to it. But he wants to give it. It doesn't say it's like, oh, you got to ask and then you got to come and ask me again or again. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to ask. He does not want us, Grace Point, to walk out of this room and close our eyes and think that we know and just go into this world and never asking God for, for any wisdom or any help. He wants us to ask. He wants you to do what, he, what is supposed to be done with your life. In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He just wants you to ask. Not only that, he, want, you, he wants you to seek him, too. He wants you to actively be, your heart is in the place you've admitted, you're ready to go on, and now I ask, and you have to be seeking for what he's trying to tell you. If you just say, okay, God, just tell me what you want me to do, I asked, there we go, I don't have to do anything else anymore. He wants you to seek him. He wants you, he wants to give you the wisdom. He wants to give you the insight. He does. 
He wants you to do his plan for your life. And we need to ask him. So we admitted, we asked, and the last one is an A, an A as well. We need to act on what Jesus says. This one, we're getting serious. It gets, you know, this is not just inside ourselves. It's not just asking a question. It's actually doing something. It gets, it gets a, little, a little hard, right? In James 1, we're going to continue with that. In James 1, we started at verse 5, so we're going to be on verse 6. It says, <clears throat> But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So, we asked, but now we need to actually act. What is stopping us from, from acting? What was stopping me from acting when I told you guys my story? And, you know, I was given this insight by God, but I didn't want to get up. I, the thing I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, I needed a friend in, in Greece when I was telling them that I, I it was day six, and, and I, I needed to go speak to somebody. God was telling me, and I said, I'm, I'm so afraid to stand up right now because if I stand up, I feel like my legs are just going to move. I had been battling with God for five days and closing my eyes and saying, I don't want to do this. And I prayed. I, I had hit the point where I go, I'm so afraid, God, if I, if I stand up, then I'm going to move. And I told a buddy that, and guess what he did? He picked me up. <laughs> and he made me act. My head during that story, the reason I didn't want to act is, is, is I was afraid of my suffering, but I was doubting very hard. I was doubting what would be done in this. Like, I was going through questions in my head. They don't speak my language, whatever. I'm just going to go, and they're just going to reject me. This is dumb. I shouldn't do this. And I was just completely doubting. And I think, you know... It wasn't a lack of confidence in my relationship with Jesus. I think it's something too important to, to note that about, about doubting. It wasn't a, like, I, I didn't believe all of a sudden, like, oh, nope, Jesus isn't my Lord anymore. I didn't believe that. I, I, I still believe that. I still had confidence in that. I had confidence in my knowledge. I had confidence in my faith. And I had a lot of confidence that Jesus could, could touch these people. What I didn't have was willingness. I was not willing to do it. I went. I had already admitted in my heart that I was that, that I was blind, that I needed to put my pride aside. I asked God, I said, God, whatever, you know, tell me to do something here and I'll do it. I asked that, and guess what? He showed me and he said, Now it's time to act, and I was not willing to act. Until literally, thank goodness, I actually had a buddy that was willing for me and picked me up. But it's still, even after he picked me up, I still had to act, right? In Philippians 4, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, let's put our, our 
doubt aside, then, you know, let's put our, 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 our unwillingness aside. Let's say we're, we're acting. But is it just one act, right? Like we have to act. We have to be, we have to want to, to be a servant. Whatever God tells us to do, we actually have to act on that. We actually have to do it. I had to actually talk to those people to be an act. But guess what? I did that and I'm done, right? Boom, did it. I got a little place in heaven. I get my spot and I get to go. I'm comfortable now. The guy I talked to, he said, I'm not interested in this, but I got to talk to him for 10 minutes and tell him about God's love. But he said, I'm not interested in it. Okay, I can go back to my spot on the rock. Just sit, and I can be comfortable again because I did it. Oh. Practice these things. Practice is not a one-time thing. As hard as that is to hear, Practice is, a, is a, something that we have to constantly do. If you want to get better at something, if you want to do something, you, it says you have to practice. And Jesus is saying, what have, like, what have you, or it is saying, what have you learned? Like, we're, Jesus is telling the disciples this too. He's like, what, you know, in my life, what, what, what have I done since I've been here? What have I done? You're talking about greatness. You're talking about glory. What have I done? Nothing of. I've been a servant. And this is what we're supposed to be. Guess what? If Jesus just came down and he stood around and he had his disciples and they got money and he sat there and he goes, we all need to be a servant, but didn't go around and heal people like Bartimaeus when they asked him for help, didn't serve this world by dying on the cross for us, didn't, didn't do this, then there would be no act in that. There would be no reason for us to, to, to follow. It would be, we, we needed the actions, and he's saying you're supposed to do what I, you're supposed to do. What I did, you're supposed to act like me. You're supposed to want to be a servant. If that's what we're supposed to do, if we're walking in, as soon as he said, "Great, you're there. You have knowledge. You at, you admitted. You're, you put your pride aside. You asked for my wisdom. I give you my wisdom. But as soon as you ask me to do it, I'm not going to do it. You're just as blind as you were. We're just as blind as we were. We have to act." It's not easy. It's really, really hard. I'm going to tell you guys this as, a, as a story about me, too. Um, before coming to Grace Point, um, I, was, I was not in a, in, a, in a church before coming here. I, I worked in a bank. And I did work in a church before that, but I worked in a bank. And life felt really good. You know, it did. We, me and my wife, we were in a very good space. We were doing really good. We were still digging into the word. We were still asking for God's wisdom. And then an opportunity opened up of, hey, is God telling me to go back into, into working for him? Is, is God telling me to, to go back and, and, and be a part of ministry? I was always a part of ministry, but going actually doing the act of service and, and being with with a group of teenagers again and being in their lives and be trying to help or being just in the church as a whole. And God asked me to do that again. And, and it was not easy to say yes. I will, I will tell you that. It was, it was a fight in my heart and in Rachel's heart. It was. But God was leading. God was guiding. I made that promise to him, right? Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I had to act. He gave me the wisdom. He gave me, I admit in my heart, he gave me that wisdom, but I had to actually act. And the things that have, he has already shown me are so beautiful. You know, the things that he has for us, 
are so great. Grace Point, as a church, they are. The things he has for you, not just in your lives, but us as a church, are so good. Now, if we leave here and he asks us to do them and we blind ourselves, then, then we're not doing anything. But if we go out as a church and we do these things, if we, if we look for wisdom, if we ask God, if we admit it in our hearts and we actually go out and act, then we will be, uh, a tough word, we'll be like an unstoppable force for God. We will be a shining light to this world. We will be servants to this world as we are supposed to be. And being spiritually blind can feel good. It can feel nice. You can kind of get into your say, I can't see anything bad. But having your eyes open by God is so much better. His plan for you is so much better than what yours is for yourself. His plan for this church is so much better than any human plan that we can have. And I hope that that is our hearts at Grace Point as a whole. I hope that our hearts are to go out and to serve and to look at what God is telling us to do and actually to do it. Not to be blind, but to see. And I hope you guys go out and do that. We have... um, I'm going to close this in some prayer. That's all I, I have for you guys this morning. But we do have um, the amazing opportunity as a, um, a family in Christ, as a, a group of Christians in this church, that we get to um, take communion together. And I love communion. I really do. It is a, um, we talked about this at the beginning. You know, Jesus was, was, was talking about his life. He was talking about, he was prophesying about what was going to happen. And that's exactly what this is. It is a remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. It is a remembrance for his body that was broken and beaten just like he said and put up on a cross. And all of his blood that spilled for us, that, that is the only reason, the, the fact that he served us. And he put his body through that. And that is what we get to have the opportunity to remember this morning. It's a wonderful thing of remembrance. We'll, we'll have the band come back out. And we will um, give you guys the opportunity on your own time. This is a conversation. This is a thing between you and Jesus. And, and you will get to thank him. I always start mine off with thanking. You will get to remember him. But maybe this is a very good time in your heart to ask him, what is it that I need to do to to see what you want from me. Maybe it's time to put ourselves aside. Maybe it's time to ask him for wisdom, and maybe it's time to see what his next step is for us in our life. And I encourage you guys to have courage and to do it. But this is between you and God. I'm, I'm very excited to, to have this moment with you guys. We're going to pray out, and then we'll give you guys time to uh, come and take your communion, and then Pastor Rick is going to come up and give us some announcements. But that's all for me today. That's all you got to hear from me. So let's pray together, church. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time that we get to have it here. Lord, we thank you for your word and your love and your sacrifice for us, God, that we get to look at you as a servant, that we get to look at you as the guide in our life, that all we need to do is just listen to you and to ask of you, and you will give it, Lord. I can't thank you enough for that. Lord, I just pray that we here at Grace Point become a church of servants, Lord, that we here at Grace Point become a church of of not blind people walking around looking good, Lord, but people that are seeing your plans for them, seeing your plans for this church and being brave enough and, and to act on them and to do them. Lord, your plans for our lives are beautiful and they are amazing. And I just 
um, pray for this church that you show them your plans for them. In your name, amen. to 
take just a few more minutes of your time to tell you about something coming up. Uh, you know, Josh had a great word about a faith that goes beyond these walls, and that's what we want. Pastor Bob, myself, and, and Josh, and our whole staff, I mean, we love you guys, but I want to say we love our community, and, uh, and our heart is for our community, and so we're always looking for opportunities for an outreach, and I got a big one to tell you about. Friday, October 28th, Right here, trunk or treat. It's going to be awesome. It's going to need. Uh, we're we're going to need a lot of help. So, uh, trunk or treat. If you don't know, it's uh, it's is where we bring our cars. We decorate them. Kids come to us. We hand out candy out of the back of the car. So I, I want I want everyone dressed up in costumes. I want your cars decorated. I want everyone to sign up. We need a lot of help. We need pumpkins. We need candy. And I want you to bring non-perishable food for our food bank while you're at it. And we're going to pass out candy from the cars, but it's more than that. We need people to set up. We need people to tear down. We need people to help kids decorate their pumpkins. Uh, and I want you to invite your friends and your family, your neighbors. Uh, this is going to be uh, one of our, our big outreach events of the year. So mark your calendars for Friday, October 28th, 7 o'clock, right here. And uh, if you, it helped me if we know who's coming. So... Um, can you text Trunk or Treat to our, our phone number, 858-500-1105? Trunk or Treat, 858-500-1105. Uh, you can talk to me. You can talk to Sierra. You'll find information about this on the website, and I'm going to keep pestering you about it all month long. So uh, put it on your calendars, but uh, you're going to hear a lot more about this, and I, I want to get as many people involved as we can because we want you to also be outwardly focused at here at Grace Point Church. I'm thrilled to be part of this family with you. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh.